0: The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter one, book of Proverbs, chapter one. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, but you'd like one to uh, look off of, we have extras in the back so just slip up your hand and one of our church members will be glad to to bring you one again we'll be in proverbs chapter one and so begins a new sermon series here at st rose community church we just finished the book of mark uh, in the fall and then did a advent series through john chapter 17 uh, looking to the prayers of Christ, and now we transition to a new series, which will take us at minimum uh, five months to complete. Um, but uh, we will see what the Lord does as we progress through. We have outlined to end uh, in May, but we may find along the way that we need to spend more time in Proverbs than than we originally planned. I'm very excited about this um, this study. Uh, one of the reasons I'm excited about this study is um, my unfamiliarity with it Uh, there's a difficulty in preaching the proverbs uh, and i've never heard it preached because of how it's structured because of uh, uh, the seeming randomness uh, of things happening in the proverbs The first verse uh, of the book of proverbs in chapter one it tells us what this book is in chapter one verse one it just describes this as the proverbs now A proverb is a short, kind of pithy saying designed to make a point about the way life works. It is a device, a poetic device that reveals some aspect of how to walk wisely in God's world. So in the Proverbs, the author states big truths in as few as words as possible. He uses Repetition and imagery and figures of speech and parallelism in, in the way he structures his sentence to make points. The Proverbs, they're, they're meant to be meditated on, memorized, internalized, so the reader knows how to walk wisely as he walks through the variety of situations that life throws at him. Now, as I said, I've never personally heard a sermon series Uh, trying to expositionally work through Proverbs, and I assume that's because of the difficulty of the structure. I mean, especially in the middle of the book, it just seems that it's basically individual, unconnected sayings of wisdom, one right after another. So that kind of makes it hard to preach a sermon or have a logical flow of thought. The book feels like, at times, what life feels like. It feels messy. It feels like the wisdom you might need in one day. A messy day full of a variety of situations where you will need different kinds of wisdom to glorify the Lord. The Proverbs, therefore, have been considered by many uh, to be not too dissimilar to short fortune cookie slogans for the wise living that are occasionally useful. But God inspired this book and we hold it in our hands for divine purpose the same God who created the stars and created the sunset and the sunrise and created my body and the way the world works that God gave us the book of Proverbs and I think he's given it to us for our good I think he's given it to us for his glory. Over the last few weeks and during some of the time during my sabbatical, I found myself in the Proverbs seeing depths and heights within the fabric of this book that have challenged me and convicted me and motivated and excited me for what God might do in our church family, what God might do in, in my life upon meditating on this wisdom. We need what Proverbs offers and what proverbs offers you is not just a better life but what what proverbs offers you is the god of life the god who is present and active not just in the moments you deem religious moments but in all the moments of life there's a theology of wisdom a theology behind The Proverbs, a theology of a big sovereign creator God over all the world who cannot be cornered into a religious box once a week. In the Proverbs, we find a God who is very much real and active and has design built in your relationships, your family dynamics, your everyday conversations, your work ethic, your romantic relationships. He is God over all of life, not just some of it. His sovereign rule touches every corner of the globe and every aspect of an individual person. Proverbs is about living life God's way in God's world so that you could better know and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. So my hope through the study uh, of this book over the next few months is that members of St. Rose Community Church, that we might be a congregation Characterized by our godly wisdom in all spheres of our influence. That people might know us at our workplace for something different than the rest of the co workers. A wisdom which almost feels otherworldly. It's my hope that th- in this study we learn to subject areas of our lives under God's leadership and guidance where we previously had ignored him or pushed him out entirely as if he had no jurisdiction over this part of my life. So it's my hope that the nations might marvel at the wisdom God pours out in this place. So we begin our time this morning uh, reading verses one Through seven, though we'll primarily just spend our time getting acquainted with the author that's mentioned in verse one. Verses one through seven function like the preamble of this book. Uh, in this uh, preamble, the preambles are preliminary, they're preparatory statements, they're introductions that's designed to help you understand what comes next. So in this preamble, we're given lots of information in the first seven verses. We're given the author of the book, the significance of that author's part in the biblical story, the purpose of the book, the intended audience of the book, the interpretive key to the whole book. So it's going to take us three weeks just to get through the first seven verses, Okay. And some of you guys are chuckling at five months, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. It'll take us three weeks to get there, but we're just eat, like you're easing into a hot tub. You just don't plunge in, right? You ease into things so you can enjoy it, right? So we're gonna ease into Proverbs, getting our minds around some vocabulary so that we can be better equipped to understand what lies in front of us. So let me read verse one uh, through seven, and then we're gonna pause and pray for understanding. Proverbs one, verse one. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtains guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, we need your wisdom now, God. We need your understanding. Please give us what we lack and do in our hearts and minds what the Proverbs promise that you do when we ask. Help us to understand your word. Help us to believe your word. Help us to apply your word in the thousands of different scenarios we'll face in the upcoming year. We pray, oh God, I pray right now, O Lord, as I speak, God, that I would not utter a sentence or a phrase that is according to my own wisdom. Oh God, as I preach, God, may I not be a man preaching man's wisdom. It is a miracle that the God of the universe who's been existing from eternity past might step into this room, into our lives and give us his wisdom. God, for you to give us yourself is astonishing. So God, may we marvel at the God who's given us this book. And may this sermon series, most of all, provoke worship in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, every individual book of the Bible finds itself placed in the context of a bigger story. A story that begins in the beginning, right? Creation itself recorded for us in the book of Genesis and a story that ends with a new beginning recorded for us in the book of Revelation. Now, verse 1 gives us the primary author of Proverbs. Solomon, son of David, King Of Israel. And he is a part of that big story that begins with, In the beginning, God, and ends with, Come, Lord Jesus, Amen. Solomon is a part of a bigger story. Proverbs is part of a bigger story. And so, before we dive into the nitty gritty details of Proverbs, let's ask the question how does this fit in the big story in which I'm a part of right now? How does the man who wrote Proverbs fit in what God's been doing from the beginning on into eternity? future? Well, let's begin with speed, round, brief Bible story recap. In the beginning, God made a world that was good, made people who were good, and good people made a bad decision to sin against a holy God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in Genesis 3, the whole world fell into spiraling corruption, corruption we still feel today. But when the world spiraled into corruption in Genesis 3 and began to spiral, God began to make promises. To Eve, he promises that an offspring would one day crush the head of the evil one. To Abraham, God promised that his offspring would become a great nation, and through that offspring, the nations of the world would experience blessing and not curse, To King David over Israel, God promises that through his offspring, God would establish a kingdom on earth again that was like the Eden that had long since gone, a kingdom that would have no end with a good king. Man's kingdom had proved to be very corrupt. Man's kingdom had proved to be very feeble, very easily shaken. Opposition, sickness, famine, sin, plagued people uh, in every kingdom, but even in the kingdom of Israel. But God promises that one day he would establish his people in a kingdom under a good king in a good and peaceful land. Now, if you're a good Bible flipper, you're going to get some exercise, so let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. I want you to see the promise to King David about what God's going to do. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, God makes this promise to David. He says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. I want you to, to notice language that reminds you of the Garden of Eden even here. Plant, rest, Sabbath. Listen, I, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And, and violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over the people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David's family in the story of the Bible would carry on a promise made to Eve, the promise made to Abraham, and now the promise made to David. David was going to have a son who would build God's uh, temple in the midst of his people. God would walk closely with this son, but even more than that, the kingdom that was coming would not be shaken the way the kingdom would be shaken now. There's a glorious future where a son of David will sit on the throne where people will be planted and they'll rest and there will not be enemies any longer. These are the kinds of expectations and hopes that Solomon is born into. Could David's son Solomon be the one to fulfill all God's promises? I mean, is this the snake crusher, right? Is Solomon the one to bring the blessing to the nations, establishes God's kingdom on earth forever and ever? Could it be Solomon now, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. David is dying, and he has one of those, like, movie moment, like, last conversations with his son, and listen to what David says to his son, Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm... About to go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walking in his ways. And keeping his statutes. His commandments. His rules. And his testimonies. As it's written in the law of the Moses. That you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. Saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all of their heart, with all of their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What a beautiful last moment between a father and a son as the father calls him to walk in what it is that he's been called to do. And so the reign of Solomon began. He understood the assignment, right? Obey the law of God. Pay careful attention to how you walk. Walk in faithfulness to God with all your heart, with all your soul. Give give your heart and soul to no one and no thing other than Yahweh, the one true God. But the task of leading a nation for a young man, I mean... Those are big shoes to fill, are they not? I mean, he has to fill the shoes of his father, King David. He's called to unite the nation of Israel around his rule, and he's got to lead one of the most insane building projects in the history of the world. That don't hit y'all the same way as it hits me. As it hits Matthew DeLaud, a pastor here, who's going through a building project. (laughs) It hits different. He's going to have to do What? Think about the pressure that he's under, and so much so that early in, the, in his reign as king, what we see is God actually visits Solomon to speak with him about the task at hand and to ask him a question. So look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeon... The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God sa- said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you and you kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Day. Yeah, I love how he just sort of, at first, acknowledges, you've done a lot. <laughs> you've done so much for me. Verse 7, and now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of David my father, although I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? So we learn a couple things about this exchange between God and Solomon. In fact, we're studying this uh, and doing some background on Solomon precisely because it's these real life moments in Solomon's life that bleed through the words of Proverbs that he will later write. If you're a note taker, write this down. Uh, Number one, Solomon shows us a great need for wisdom. Now remember, listen to me, Solomon had the Old Testament law. He had the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had the Ten Commandments. He had the great deliverance of the Exodus. He had the testimony of Moses' leadership in the wilderness, his sermons in Deuteronomy. He had the stipulations of worship and Exodus and Leviticus. In fact, he very likely had already completed his, his handwritten edition of God's word up until that point in Deuteronomy chapter 17 this is the expectation that's placed on every king of Israel Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 18 says says this when he sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all his words of his law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Solomon likely had the full testimony of God's written word until this point, yet he, yet he still felt as if he felt unequipped. There's, there's a sense in which, which he recognized, I can memorize the Ten Commandments, I can have the copy of the whole Bible here in my hands, but to apply those truths and the countless ways that I will be challenged as king over a nation, I don't know how to do that. The Torah is precious and beautiful, and he, it's, it's, God's word is, is unmatched in its wisdom, but, it, but it's not a manual for how to be a good king in every situation. Furthermore, Solomon was young and experienced. His father is dead. His kingdom is large. Part of his job description is to build a temple for the living God. I mean, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God meets Solomon in his anxiety. <laughs> God meets Solomon in his inability. And God essentially says, what is it that you think you need, Solomon? What is, it, what is it that you need from me? And Solomon's request is simple, right? He asks God for wisdom. He recognized that he needed more than knowledge about facts, he needed to know how to take those truths and use them to navigate the complexities of the challenges before him. He needed wisdom that, did not, that he did not have from experience and he could not just create for himself. It's one thing to know your Bible. It's another thing to know how to use it as you're navigating a, a marital struggle. <laughs> How to to use it as you're navigating the workplace, conversations, obligations. It's one thing to, to memorize scripture. It's another thing to know how to live it. It's one thing for Solomon to know his father's instruction, keep God's rules, instructions, testimony. It's another thing to know how to navigate ruling a kingdom. You can translate that into other professions. My brother in laws is a, a firefighter and paramedic. He can memorize the manual. He can memorize the book. But he then has to take the things he learns from the, the book, and then he has to be able to apply those things at a moment's notice in a wild variety of scenarios where people's lives are on the line. No manual could possibly articulate the details and decisions he'd have to make every single day. Wisdom is that knowledge-fueled, knowledge of God's Word-fueled ability to then navigate life according to what God has said. Solomon needs wisdom from God to accomplish what God had called him to do. And so do you. It's why God gives us the book of Proverbs. It's why we're studying it together. We want to be people of the Word. That is People who know the word, and then people who know how to live in light of the word. One commentator says this about the book of Proverbs. He says, there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal dealings. Proverbs moves in this realm, asking what a person is like to live with or to employ, how he manages his affairs, his time, and himself. And Solomon says, I need your help, God. I need your wisdom. But look at what God shows us through his response. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Let me read that again. I read that too quickly and you may have missed it. It pleased the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I desire to please Truth number two that we see, God shows us that God blesses requests for wisdom. The fact that the scriptures say God was pleased with this signals to us, here's an example to follow. Now, is Solomon an example to follow all throughout his life? No. But in this moment, God's pleased with what's happening. We should take note. Notice that he does not pray, God, I pray that you would get my kingdom to figure it out. That the people would not be so troublesome. That the people that I'm serving over would not have so many issues. Notice that he doesn't project that the real problem is out there. Notice that he says, the problem that I need your help with is actually in here. And in here, Lord. I need you to help me to walk in your way. So that I can lead these people. And the request is then answered. In a way that it, says, that it shows that God actually wants to answer this request. God, the source of all wisdom, loves providing wisdom to those people who recognize they don't have it without him. <laughs> he loves to give you what you recognize you don't have without his grace in your life. That is what God does. He's the giver of life, the source of all good things, of all knowledge, of all wisdom. In fact, God makes this point abundantly clear by the abundance of wisdom he pours out on Solomon. Now, let's keep chugging. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Listen to the description of what, what happens. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east. And all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. And Hermon the Calcolon. And and Darda the sons of Mahol. And his fame was was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar. That is in Lebanon. To the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke... Uh, Also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon says, Lord, please give me wisdom. And then God shows out. (laughs) I'll do more abundantly than all you could ask or think when it comes to this request. Verse 32 tells us that he spoke 3000 proverbs and his songs were 1005. Do you realize what that means? This this teaching series that we are about to or that we are undergoing 3000 years later. This book that we hold in our hands containing a collection of God-inspired wisdom was an answer to a prayer request for wisdom. Solomon was the recipient of divine wisdom from God because he recognized his need for it, that he did not know how to do this. (laughs) And he went to the right source for it. I'm wondering how many of us need to recognize our own limitations this morning and be okay with the fact that I don't know how to do this. Some of you need to be okay with, I don't know how to parent. Like, stop pretending that you know, right? You, you don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we don't know. If, if, you, if you're looking in the New Testament for, for a step-by-step guide on parenting, you will, you will look for a long time. But what you'll find are principles that you can cling to that you then take to the Lord and say, How? Do I apply this to this little human in my house? Help me, Lord. I don't know how. Some of us need to recognize our own inability and be comfortable with the fact that we're human and that we are finite and we are not the source of wisdom. But we do know the source of wisdom. We'll study these words more deeply in a few weeks in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 I mean, you can hear Solomon writing from experience here. Verse 1, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as if for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. He's watching over the way of his saints. As we move into the new year with a new sermon series, that's our prayer, right? God, give us your wisdom to accomplish your will in our lives. And God is pleased with that prayer. But not just for our sake. God is pleased to give you wisdom, not just to to make your home life a little less crazy. He's pleased to give you wisdom, not just so that you're better at your job, not just so you have better relationships, not just so that you have a better marriage. That's part of it. I mean, I think wisdom uh, produces blessing, it's wisdom, wisdom leads to good things, <laughs> but there's always a bigger purpose that God is working as He's doing things for your good. He's doing things for your good, and He's doing thing for His glory among all the nations. He, he uses the, the ways he's working in your life to then reflect his glory to people who do not yet know him. I want you to read uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34 again. Look, look what happens when God shows out in the life of Solomon, verse 34, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Truth number three this morning, God gives wisdom for his glory among the nations, God gives wisdom for the same reason that he does anything and everything else. That the world might know he alone is God. Look what happens. Watch this play out in 1 Kings chapter 10. Flip a couple pages with me. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he couldn't explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. What she was seeing took her breath away. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loves Israel forever. He's made you king that you might execute justice and righteousness. When the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon, who was it that she really ended up seeing? But the God of Israel, the wisdom of that only he could make possible. She says, your men are happy. Your servants are happy. Your kingdom is is happy. Oh God, may may my neighbors say that of my children and of my wife. Your your children love you, respect you, honor you. Your, Your wife is happy to be with you. Your employer is happy that you work for them. There's something unique about the way you approach life that is shaping the people around you. And may they say what the Queen of Sheba said God must be delighting in you. God must have poured something in you that's different than, than the guy down the street. The Queen of Sheba says, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delight in you we seek wisdom of God not just so that we can accomplish great things but so that God may be worshiped as great among all the nations we'll be studying James in our community groups here in a couple weeks and James in the New Testament says very similar things in James chapter 1 verse 5 if you lack wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to them James 1, 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Three truths we've seen so far. Solomon shows us a great need for wisdom. God blesses requests for wisdom. God gives wisdom for his glory among the nations. But there's more we learn from Solomon's story and his part to play in the bigger story of the Bible. Despite Solomon's wisdom, despite all his writings and warnings that speak so clearly to the path of life, if you follow Solomon's life, what you will see is that he actually chooses a foolish path. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. It's exactly what we see happening. You skip down a little bit to... uh, Verse 4 it says, Solomon was old when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was his heart, the heart of David his father. Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians. and. After Milcom the abomination of the Ammonites Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done then Solomon built a high place for Gamash, the abomination uh, the abomination of Moab and for Molech the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain of the east Jerusalem Truth number 4 we need more than wisdom We need wisdom but we need more than wisdom Solomon had great understanding. He had great knowledge of the scriptures. He wrote some of the scriptures. Listen to the, the words that he wrote in Proverbs chapter five, verse one. These are the writings of of, of Solomon. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey; her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the way to life. Her ways wander. She doesn't know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give honor to others, your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you'll say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin In the assembled congregation. Having written those words, Solomon did not heed his own wisdom. Having wisdom, having knowledge of God's word, is not the same as having a new heart filled with affections for God. Your affections will override your wisdom. Your affections will override your knowledge. Knowledge of what is right and wrong does not give you sovereign power to choose the right. The book of Proverbs is a book of God's wisdom. It will show us in many ways what the path of wisdom is, but Proverbs will not give you the power to actually walk in the wisdom that you see. Proverbs can show you your failures, but Proverbs cannot provide you the forgiveness you need for those failures. Proverbs cannot save you from the depths of your intrinsic foolishness. We need more than just wisdom. We need the grace that flows to us and into our hearts from the Spirit of God to the work of Jesus. We need new hearts and new affections and new desires and new wills to walk with God in all things. We need what only God can provide us. Through faith in Christ. Proverbs continuously points us to the way we should walk. But in doing so, Proverbs continuously points us to our need for Jesus. Proverbs exposes our foolishness for what it is and the great need we have, not just for advice, but for an advocate from on high, not just for suggestions, but for a Savior. We need more than just knowledge in this place, do we not? Where does Solomon fit in the story? Well, he proved not to be the promised offspring who would crush the serpent's head, didn't he? Because he ended up listening to the serpent just as Eve had done. He proved not to be the promised blessing of Abraham. He proved not to be the king who would establish a kingdom that has no enemy, no end. But his story points to the king we need. His story points, points to the king who was to come, which leads us to our last truth, truth number five. We need a king better than Solomon. Proverbs 1.1 1, 1 again says, the Proverbs, of, this is how the book begins, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now allow me to read the first line of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus comes as the king, not only possessing all wisdom, but as one who would truly walk in wisdom his entire life without fail to the bitter end. His wisdom is unmatched, Jesus is wisdom embodied. He is wisdom in the flesh. Everything he did was according to understanding. He gave that understanding to those who were around him, but he didn't just know the wisdom that he taught. He walked in the wisdom that he taught to the point of death, even death, on a cross. And then he rose again, crushed the serpent's head, brought the blessing of Abraham, set his people from the bondage like Moses had done, established a kingdom that will have no end. He is wisdom incarnate who came to save fools. Like you and me. To his opposers in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, this is what Jesus says to them. You gotta love it. He says to the uh, scribes and Pharisees who would have known their Bibles very well, He says, The queen of the south, queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, Something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, she traveled great distance just to see for herself the wisdom that God poured out on Solomon. I'm wisdom in the flesh standing before you and you're turning your back on me. You want wisdom this morning. You want to see wisdom, understand wisdom as we read through Proverbs over the next five months then do so looking for Jesus and seeing Jesus in the text that we read. The Proverbs will point us to Jesus in several ways, right? First, the Proverbs are going to expose our need for a Savior over and over again because you're going to read stuff and you're going to be like, dang, that's me and not in a good way. (laughs) Secondly, the Proverbs perfectly describe the wisdom that Jesus walked in every day in his life. And thirdly, the Proverbs are going to show us how To more clearly reflect Jesus to a lost and dying world. So as we begin this book, let me let me conclude with a few suggestions on how we should be praying. Let me give you three suggestions. Uh, Number one, consider your need for wisdom. In what ways have you acted foolishly as of recent? How do your actions actually contradict what you believe to be true? I mean, we can scoff at the fact that Solomon would write a passage like that and then make decisions like he made, but, but we should see some of ourselves in that, should we not? How many times have you gone against the very counsel that you've given to someone else? Consider your need for wisdom. In what areas do you need to grow in wisdom in 2023? What do you need God to show you? Number two, Commit to pray for wisdom. When I was an undergrad student uh, in a pastoral ministry class, uh, a professor challenged us to keep a devotional journal and to write down things that we would commit to pray for every day that year. And uh, in discussion with him, discussion with people in our class, we talked about the need for praying for things that we cannot create in ourselves. Praying for specific things, like I can't make myself Love people more, or love God more. I can't. There's nothing I can do that will just make me feel affection. I can't make myself more humble. I can tell myself, "Be humble, be humble." But I can act humble. I can't make it really (laughs) who I am. (laughs) I can't make myself wise. I can read. I can. I can do the best that I can. But I can't. I can't take God's wisdom and force it into me so that I know how to handle a situation. So when I was 20 years old, wisdom made it onto a daily prayer list and it's the kind of thing that you pray for over a long period of time having no idea whether God is answering it or not. But time will show the fruits of those prayers. As you're thrust into situations and you're dealing in conversations and it's like you wake up an hour later and realize God was working in that moment through the wisdom I've prayed for for 10 years. Commit to pray for wisdom. And lastly, uh, suggestion number three, exalt Christ our wisdom. Let this book lead us to worship Jesus who fulfills it perfectly every step of the way. Let's look to Christ our wisdom. So let's let's pray together toward these ends. Father, it's the first day of a new year and a lot, a lot of people during this time just naturally ask questions of what it means to live a God-honoring life in the coming days. We pray for wisdom, Lord. We pray for wisdom and then we pray for the power of the Spirit of Christ to walk in that wisdom. May the nations marvel at the little images of Christ that leave this building and go into the world in a lot of different spaces and a lot of different ways. May the nations marvel at the wisdom of God placed into our hearts, Father, we pray. Work in this way, in Jesus' name, amen.